0: From the Madison Metropolitan School District, this is Lead to Liberate, a podcast documenting stories of inspiration, growth, and empowerment across our schools. Thank you listeners for joining us again. I am Dr. Carlton D. Jenkins, very proud superintendent here at Madison Metropolitan School District, and you are on Lead to Liberate. And today we have another very special guest, Our guest today has been with MMSD for quite some time, and she'll tell you that in just a moment. But I'm very proud to introduce one of our associate superintendents, new associate superintendents, but it seems like it's been for a long time as that as well, right? But we have with us Dr. Deb Hoffman. And Dr. Hoffman, how are you today?
1: I'm doing really well, thanks for asking.
0: Okay, great. Why don't you just uh, give our listeners just a little bit about Why MMSD? Why have you stayed? Why are you doing the work you're doing right now as we here on Lead to Liberate trying to get information from individuals who work within our system and want to be here?
1: So, yeah, that's an interesting question. I started off my career as a teacher in Milwaukee Public Schools, and I was on a mission to make change in public schools, and I came to Madison to get my doctorate with every intention of going back to Milwaukee Public Schools. And I sort of accidentally fell into a position because of an urgent situation when I had just started the doctoral program here. And it was an interesting way to lead and be in the Ph.D. program at the same time. And so I was able to put research and practice together while I was working and do some really creative things right here at the start of my career as a principal in 1996. So um, that led me to wanting to stay and do the work here in Madison. And I, raised, I wanted to raise my, my own children here, and I did that. And now one of them teaches in Madison.
0: Wow, now that's exciting. So you started teaching and now one of your own scholars teaching right here in Madison as well. Uh, tell us a little bit about your journey in terms of some of the creativity. When everyone talk about you, they talk about Lincoln. I have to tell you, you've been at other schools, but everybody goes back to Lincoln. What are some of the creative things that you've done to try to help students get access to learning at a high level so that they can perform well later on in life?
1: So my drive and passion has been about inclusive education for uh, students who are English learners, for students with disabilities. um, And it all started actually at Franklin, which is interesting because Franklin and Lincoln were court-ordered DSEG schools back in the 80s, early 80s. Franklin was the elementary school and Lincoln was the junior high. And I started my career at Franklin where I was able to do a lot of inclusive ed work. We had a, a grant from the um, the federal government that both the superintendent and the School of Education here, um, ed leadership department, helped facilitate. And we were the first school to do cross categorical. We did inclusive Title One programming, and um, inclusive English learner programming um, way back in 1998-99, before there was even English as second language programs in the whole La Follette and Memorial attendance areas. And then I was transferred over to Lincoln when Lincoln was a school identified as need in need of improvement in 2007. So I took everything I learned at Franklin with that brilliant staff and implemented it at Lincoln um, in order to move out of being a school in need of improvement by um, providing more inclusive service delivery model and more teacher-student interaction, um, small group instruction and less segregated programs.
0: Wow, that's, that's very exciting. One of the things that we know right now, just across the nation, we're talking about it. The reading proficiency levels at 35%, we're in a crisis. So what's been some of your experiences in dealing with that and what's your experience? Now, how are you leading, leading to liberate And getting our schools at the next level where we can get higher levels of students who are really enjoying reading and who are more at a proficient and beyond level
1: so reading is a complex learning activity that i have strong passion about both reading and math i have a lot of passion about and i love to learn about learning and so a lot of my work starting out at franklin was with k2 Kindergarten through second grade, and thinking about developmental reading, and I learned a lot from the teachers I had at Franklin. Most of them were, several of them were dually certified in special ed and regular ed, even even in the in the mid 90s, and some of them had what was called reading recovery licensure. So. Um, I learned a lot from observing that program. When I was in Milwaukee Public Schools, we did not have um, reading recovery, so I learned a lot by watching and then implementing a lot of literacy development um, so that we could get our kids reading. And I used to do all the data by hand, tracking um, dictated sentences, phonemic awareness, and um, hearing sounds and wor- words. So. Um, so that was where I really developed a lot depth, more depth of knowledge about um, primary literacy and developmental reading. And then when I went to Lincoln, Lincoln being a third, fourth and fifth grade school, um, what we did to really examine what was going on with the literacy rates at Lincoln was to try to figure out where the breakdown was, because most of our students, oh, probably 98% of them were decoding well but not um, their academic vocabulary was crushing them in um, standardized tests and also in other content areas where you're reading to learn and versus learning to read. Um, and so reading at the third, fourth, and fifth grade level developmentally, you want students developing their academic language and their understanding of what they read in order to learn content areas. And that was a huge barrier for our students doing Um, becoming proficient um, readers. and So we really studied that, tore it apart and kept uh, working at it (laughs) in lots of different ways by investing in rich text, um, uh, meaningful text, um, buying. We spent tons of money on our library and our book rooms to buy texts that were engaging for all students, multicultural texts, in order to help students um, really learn to love to read
0: right well i tell you you know you just mentioned a part about the whole part of really it was word recognition is what it was and then language comprehension because students struggle with that piece and at one point i was this big balanced literacy like most of us right being very successful with it and now we're embarking upon having adopted a historical um Amount of curricular resources for our elementary and then now moving into it into the middle school. And all of this is based on alignment with the science of reading, which isn't new, been around a long time, but we've always had these reading awards. You're an elementary person, you have been involved heavily in reading. How is this going to influence what's happening right now in uh, MMSD?
1: Well, hopefully it's going to influence it positively. We Mm. want our students reading. It's always been our goal to have uh, proficient readers, third, fourth, fifth grade, so that when they are learning content through reading that they um, are not falling down essentially um, in those content areas because of their reading skills. Uh, one of the things that comes to mind in terms of our professional development plan and getting some baseline is that we can't control when we hire staff what the pedagogical training is at all the colleges and universities in, in the United States that are training our teachers and, and across the world. We hire internationally also. And so one of the things that by, by having that as a baseline, especially for our elementary teachers, is to help build the pedagogical knowledge that perhaps is not consistent across universities and colleges that are training teachers. So I'm hopeful that this will help us give a better base um, to the developmental reading process.
0: Mm -hmm. Now, I tell you, walking in in 2020, a number of teachers talked about not having curricular materials, and now we've made this historic adoption. How do you think that's playing out right now when you're going into buildings and you're having conversations with the principals and with the teachers?
1: Uh, I think uh, it's been a lot of learning this year. As far as learning about the curriculum, we have a lot of highly skilled teachers who know how to teach reading and are improving their skills every day um, on behalf of our students. I think that having high quality materials that are consistent across the district is an important piece um, because everyone's skill level is different. And so it gives us a framework from which to work. Um, The curriculum will never teach the children. The teachers teach the children. Um, And so the curriculum is a piece of that. And having more culturally relevant materials that have more um, scaffolds in them to meet the needs of our learners is critical to catching all of our learners and not just some of our learners. So I'm very hopeful moving forward as we learn to harvest everything that's really good out of our new curriculum purchase and push our students forward while continuing to, to nourish the love of reading and so students want to read.
0: Right, that's a critical point that you just made in terms of teachers teach our children, not the curriculum, and just not just high quality, instruction, uh, but high quality expectation for all children. So uh, as a leader yourself, you're going by how, How do you start even that conversation when you see someone doing extremely well? How do you take that and use it in other spaces?
1: So one of the, I think the most effective ways to support teacher learning is to have the build relationships between strong teachers or veteran teachers and our newer staff who are less experienced. Another way to do it is through coaching. So um, way back in the day, there was um, time and space for we call them visitation days. I think they were a part of the contract. Um, but as a principal, I could assign um, a staff member or suggest to a staff member, oh, you might want to visit so-and-so's classroom to get some new ideas but we can still do that through you know small amounts of time and principals being creative to release teachers to go visit um, other teachers that they trust to learn from them so that they're not um, feeling vulnerable but they can go in and look at some other practices getting teacher teams talking I think one of the early things in my career when um, we had just implemented the comprehensive school reform grant at Franklin, I heard teachers in the hallway talking about data and then problem solving. Oh, did you try this? Oh, did you try that? Let's go back. Let's think about this, this and that and really solving problems around how to help a student move forward. And that's exactly the kind of teacher discourse we want happening.
0: Yeah, I tell you outstanding right after the pandemic and we're not done with the pandemic we still have some residuals. But what I've been very pleased is seeing going into schools and seeing the spaces, like I was in Blackhawk Middle School and Mendota, several schools, right? And the staff are actually working together to try to figure it out because there's some residuals from the pandemic that we're all, let's just be honest, still trying to figure out. And so when we see these things, I think it's real important that we accentuate them and particularly share best practices. If anything comes from the pandemic, it's our willingness and ability to share more and teaching itself is not as isolated. But mentioning that, let me say this. Right now, the teacher shortage, uh, and it's not just because of the degrees being conferred, but individuals are really tired. Do you see that sense of needing to focus on socio emotional with students and staff?
1: I fully support the needs of our staff, social, emotional, well being with our students. I, it, it is so critical right now. So before the pandemic, I was a firm believer in the parallel of teaching mindfulness practices to students to teaching reading. It's an access point. It doesn't require anything but yourself and the skills in your own head to help calm yourself down, to work in your brain. which is a skill you can use your entire life, and whether you're in a bad meeting or a class you don't like or whatever, having the skills to negotiate your own feelings um, will help you forever, just like learning how to read. And so if we're not teaching those self-calming skills, those regulation skills, all that kind of stuff, we're not really doing a full-picture job. So that mindfulness practice, I think, is critical to children's, uh, well-being and their development and I, I use mindfulness but I'm, I'm really talking about self-regulation and learning how to manage their emotions and we have to be teaching both the students and the staff how to better manage their emotions. in fact there's some studies over at the Center for Healthy Minds about teacher efficacy improving having gone through mindfulness training themselves so do I think that the, that this is another result of the pandemic yes and um there were problems before the pandemic and now they've been completely exacerbated and we really are needing to work harder and harder to try to help support our students and our staff moving forward
0: yeah i'll tell you one thing thanks for saying that because right before the pandemic we were seeing this escalation of self-regulation needing to occur but now after the pandemic it's not even student staff we're seeing the community and so doing your job now goes beyond just a scholar beyond just the teacher the staff person but also you find yourself talking to the whole family Mm -hmm. and even in the community about hey we need to give one another grace during this time so leading now do you find that even for yourself you have to only regulate yourself social emotional and mental health as well
1: for sure, I, I think that's always been something that I've had to pay a lot of attention to throughout my life, um, or I wouldn't be able to do my job at all. Um, and I, I think it's a delicate dance between holding myself to high standard and making sure that I am taking care of myself. Um, and that delicate dance has to be supported by the people I work with and holding me accountable and also helping me to use all the skills I have built over time to do the best work I can when I'm at work. So um, I want that for our staff, I want that for our students, and I want that for our families. I think impulse control right now is really causing great harm in our country. Um, in terms of people making snap decisions when they're angry or sad, um, whether that's from suicide rates or um, hurting other people when they're upset because the impulse control and the self-regulation is really out of whack. Um, And it's very saddening. And I would love to see improvement in those ways.
0: Yeah, well, I tell you, I appreciate you sharing that with us, Dr. Huffman. And we're in this delicate space of understanding that we want all of our scholars to be successful, all of our staff to be successful. And we want to pay attention to the social, emotional, mental health, well-being of everyone. And at the same time, we realize where we are in terms of with our ability to have students graduate with a degree that really means something, right? Uh, Not just graduating and can't write, you can't read, you can't do confrontation, just whatever. So leading during these times is a little bit different than even before the pandemic because I don't know if the whole uh, community really understands that it's a lot different now. I know we had some staff, I mean some parents actually become teachers for a moment during the pandemic Mm -hmm. and I love running into those parents because they say it clearly, say hey, you all can have them back, you can teach them. How are you working with parents differently now? TRY TO ENGAGE THEM?
1: WELL, I THINK WE HAVE TO CONTINUE TO FIND OUT WHAT PARENTS NEED FROM US uh, IN TERMS OF COLLABORATION. I THINK WE MAKE ASSUMPTIONS ABOUT PARENTS AND and WHAT THEY WANT TO BE DOING WITH THE SCHOOL VERSUS THINKING ABOUT WHAT THEY NEED FROM US. THERE IS A LOT OF TALK ABOUT PARENT INVOLVEMENT, but. I think that it's a misnomer that certain parents are not involved. We have a lot of parents that are involved in just ways that are invisible, right? We have parents that put kids to bed every night on time, that we have parents that have, um, do work three jobs in order to make sure their children are dressed and ready for school, fed and ready to roll. And those, those parents, may not be seen at school in and working in our school or working in the pto and it's assumed that they're not involved because they couldn't come to an event or a conference or something and that's wrong because they're doing a lot of things that we never see to get their child to us in a healthy way and so i just want to call out that parent involvement looks differently for every family and that parent might be the parent that writes in a notebook to a teacher but never attends events um, and it might be a parent that never writes in the notebook but gets their kid to school every single day. Um, and I want to make sure that I recognize that the continuum of parent involvement could be perfect attendance to attending every school function and meeting.
0: Mm. Outstanding. Well, I tell you, here on Lead Deliberate, we talk about it. We bring it out. What are we talking about here? There's conversation around goal three, black children and you will excel. MMSD stands strong on that. Why black children and youth will excel? um, Why is that there?
1: Because we need to call out black excellence as a goal in our school district, as a a group that has been historically marginalized, redlined in our city, and um, we need to pay attention to the achievement disparities that exist that are caused by our community, society, and our schools. We are a part of the problem, and we need to work on fixing it. So in terms of becoming anti-racist, we need to focus on our black scholars being getting access that they have been denied over centuries, um, and getting full access and rebuilding schools to serve all students versus some students. Um, Our school, our public education system, was built to serve basically middle class, white, Christian, heterosexual boys uh, without disabilities. And we need to upend that and think about education continuously differently as we learn more about the brains and also of all persons attending our schools. But our black students have been marginalized, I don't want to get in a competition about it but the worst um, in our schools and by calling that out we are calling everyone in the other misnomer is that any of us can get a a robust education without educating everyone Um, so people used to ask me why i would have my own children be in classrooms where perhaps there was um, a density of students unlike himself and that's an asset for him. He get he gains by being with the diversity of the class and the diversity of disability and the most diverse middle school that he could have attended in Madison, he went to. So, and he has benefited from that and that was not an accident on my part that we made those decisions to send him there. And um, I'm very proud of who he's becoming as a teacher and a lot of his, views, my job as a white parent is to make sure I don't raise a white male that perpetuates the problems in this country. And so he needs to rise up and use his cultural capital to upend racism in our city and our community as well. So um, it's an asset to be raised in a community that's diverse and people make the mistake of not understanding how much They're denying their own children learning by excluding and segregating our students. Back to the black excellence, that's all part of it, um, is to make sure that all children are benefiting, but those who have been marginalized the worst in our city are our black youth for the longest amount of time.
0: Wow, thank you, that's powerful. You've heard it, listeners, right here from a scholar, from a leader, a teacher, administrator, and a parent. And she spoke boldly right here on Lead to Liberate about how we go to create communities where all belong. I wanna thank you so much, Dr. Hoffman. You are quite the justice leader and I appreciate you being here on Lead to Liberate. And we look forward to our uh, listeners coming back again next week as we will have another dynamic leader. Thank you, Dr. Hoffman.
1: Thank you, Dr. Jenkins.
0: You're listening to Lead to Liberate, a podcast by the Madison Metropolitan School District demonstrating how the more we know, the more we grow.